Good morning. My name is Scott Burns. I'm one of the pastors here at Alliance, and it is a privilege to be with you this morning, this Sunday before Christmas, to be able to share with you from God's Word um, what Christmas is all about. Christmas is my favorite time of year. I love Christmas. I am not a Christmas hater. I am a Christmas lover. I love the traditions we have as a family. I love the traditions we have as a church. I love decorating the tree. I always buy one that's too big. I enjoy giving gifts. I love Christmas music. Over the last nine years, I've come to just enjoy uh, even the dance that we bring to some of that Christmas music. I'm looking forward to the uh, Christmas Eve service here on Tuesday night. It's one of my favorite uh, worship gatherings of the year, mainly because it combines Christmas music and fire. That's good stuff. How can you not enjoy that? I love this time of year, but I have grown frustrated with one aspect of this time of year, and that's glitter. Whoever invented glitter must not have had children. Did a little bit of research on glitter this week. I was astounded to find out that over the last 20 years or so, about 10 million pounds of glitter has been produced and purchased. Can you believe that? And my children have access to most of it. (laughs) So even though I love this time of year, there are a few aspects that I can be a little scroogey about. But even with the glitter, it's it's my, my favorite time of year. The main reason I love it is because of what it is all about. Christmas is about God giving us the greatest gift humanity could ever have and desperately needs, and that's Jesus Christ. The implications of that gift are incredible, and we're going to look at that this morning. Even though I have a lot of Even though I love a lot of the stuff that comes with Christmas, the lights, the trees, the presents, it's easy to get caught up in all of the other aspects of of Christmas and forget about what it's really about. We get pummeled this time of year with materialism from our culture. Christmas shows make us think that everything's going to be okay, just give it 30 minutes. Salvation brings unparalleled freedom and joy But so many things in this world, and even our own hearts and minds, can bring a thick fog over that freedom and joy. If you brought your Bibles, and I hope you did, I'd like you to turn to the book of Galatians. I'm going to read from chapter 3, verse 26, through chapter 4, verse 7. But we're actually going to spend all of our time looking at chapter 4, verses 4 through seven, but I want to read what precedes that just to kind of get us into the flow of what Paul is talking about. But before I read that, and while you're turning there, I do want to make a few comments about the book of Galatians. A Christmas message from the book of Galatians could be a little bit tricky because Paul is actually angry in this letter. His tone is often harsh. Now, Paul loves the Galatians, but he feels they are so close to the edge of losing the gospel that he does not hold back any punches. Sometimes love is gentle, and sometimes love is tough. And Paul is tough in this letter. The Galatians were abandoning the gospel message. Instead of preaching and believing salvation by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, they were beginning to embrace the observance of Old Testament law, especially circumcision, 
in order to really be saved. False teachers had come in and added effort. They'd added human works to the gospel. And there's a sense in which the message of these false teachers was, he's making a list and he's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. So you better do these things. Does that sound familiar? It's pretty easy to get into this mindset that Christianity is all about good behavior, checking boxes, looking good. And that's what the Galatians were flirting with. And so in doing that, they had perverted, they had distorted, and they had abandoned the gospel. This was not a time for Paul to be gentle. Salvation was on the line. So the original tone of our passage this morning is actually in the midst of of a rather passionate confrontation. Paul starts chapter 3 by calling them fools. But I'm not going to preach a Christmas message called Merry Christmas, you idiots. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) The reason I can take a harsh passage and put some padding on it uh, is because of the grace of God in the gospel. The grace of God in the gospel turns everything into hope for those who believe. Romans 15.4 tells us that the Old Testament was written for our hope, all of it. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 tells us that the Scripture's ultimate aim is to complete us and equip us. The Scripture always offers us help and hope. So this is not a fire and brimstone Christmas message because ultimately there's tremendous truth and hope in this passage and that's what we're going to focus on. So let me read it for you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, all the way to chapter 4, verse 7. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set before, or set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, there is one thing that ultimately divides us this morning. It is not gender. It is not the amount of wealth or the lack of it. It's not our position in this community or this church. It's not the color of our skin. If there's division in this room this morning, it is because here in this room there are believers in you and there are those who do not believe in you. There are those who are your sons and there are those who are not. On my own, I cannot help either group, but you can. So Spirit, I ask you to use the word to help believers walk more confidently and faithfully and joyfully today. 
And I ask you to open the eyes of those who do not believe and save them from their sin. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The central point of this passage, particularly chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, is this. God sent forth his son to free us from slavery and to make us his adopted sons. Or to quote a tweet based off of this passage by uh, a tweet by David Mathis of Desiring God. In God's unique son, by faith, we are no longer slaves, but adopted sons. And amazingly, heirs with Jesus of all he inherits. The title of this sermon is God's Christmas gift to all who believe, adopted as a son. If you're a believer today, I hope that this passage reminds you and helps you celebrate what Christmas is all about. And if you're an unbeliever, I hope this passage creates in you a desire to be adopted by God. And you can be if you will confess your sin and believe in Jesus. One of the things that I love about this church is the number of families that have adopted children. Many of the aspects of adopting a child are a beautiful reflection of God's adoption of us. And that is what I want to focus on this morning, God's adoption of us. So here's our outline from Galatians 4, 4 to 7. Here's what Galatians 4, 4 to 7 teaches us. First, our adoption was planned. Second, our adoption was costly. Third, our adoption brings radical change. Fourth, our adoption is felt. And finally, fifth, our adoption is final. So let's look at the, each one of those. First, our adoption was planned. Galatians 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Jesus came into world history at the exact time previously established and fixed by the Father. God had been working his purpose out through history. And at the right time, at the high point of his plan, God sent his son. And this action was perfectly timed. There was an intentional delay. Israel had felt that and been confused by that and and even mourned that. But its occurrence was not a moment too late. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Christmas. God in eternity past foresaw the future sin and the results of sin for humanity and he intentionally planned to save sinful humanity. Though all humanity, though all humanity deserved his wrath in love and grace, he chose to redeem people from every tribe and tongue and nation and people. To accomplish this, he sent his very own son into the world as the incarnate God-man to live a perfect life in our place and offer himself as a sinless sacrifice for all who repent and believe. By Christ's resurrection from the dead, God conquered sin and death so that whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life and all the rights and joys that come with that. This is the gospel. There's no other message like it. And Ephesians 1 verse 4 says that before, 
before the foundation of the world, he predestined us for adoptions, for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Our adoption was planned. When the fullness of time had come in history, God sent forth his son according to his plan. He did that back then so that he could adopt us now. When the fullness of time had come in our lives, God sent forth his son according to his plan for us. And it was God's plan to send forth his son in history through a woman. Her name was Mary. Through the, the, even though Christ had eternally existed with the Father, he took on flesh and was born of a woman. This was God's plan. And when Mary learned of what was to happen, God's message to her had been intentionally delayed, but it was not a second too late. And when Joseph was told that Mary had done nothing wrong and that he was to marry her and adopt this divine child as his own, God's message to him was intentionally delayed, but it was not a second too late. God works the same way in our lives. His delays are intentional and purposeful, but he is never too late. And both Mary and Joseph obediently responded to God's word to them. They walked by faith, not by sight. They cared more about what God said than what others said. May we be like them. And may we remember that every hair of our head is numbered, that all of our days are in his hands, and that our adoption as his child was planned before we ever existed to keep us from boasting, to keep us from despair. If you have been adopted by God, be comforted that you were not an accident. You didn't slip into the kingdom unnoticed. God's not in heaven going, how did that happen? I didn't know that he believed in me. God planned to adopt you before the foundation of the world. He had you in mind when Jesus was lying in the manger. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became rich poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Santa rewards good behavior. Jesus comes to the sinful as Savior. There's a very big difference in those messages. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The context seems to imply the Old Testament law, which, which Jesus was certainly subjected to and perfectly fulfilled. The Old Testament law was a part of God, God's divine plan. But even if we expand the law uh, in, in a more general sense, Christ fulfilled it. Christ did what no one else could do. Christ did what you and I could never do. He fulfilled all of the law. He lived under the law so that he could redeem those imprisoned 
by it. And this truth leads us to our second point. Our adoption was costly. The clearest statement of the cost is, is actually in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. That says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The purpose of Jesus' coming was to redeem fallen humanity. If God had left us as we were, we would be like that helpless child, alone, lying in his own excrement and slowly dying from lack of nourishment. We needed redemption. We needed adoption. Redemption means to to buy out of slavery. Redemption means to release a slave from his or her owner by paying the slave's full price. Here, the slave master is the law. Jesus paid our full price to the law. Or to look at it from another angle. God, the master, had every reason to leave us in our slavery, which we had sold ourselves into. But instead, in love, he, the master, buys us out of slavery with his son. That landed on me in a new way this week. I've been hearing that all my life. But I want you to think about that for a minute. The master, God, had every reason to leave us in our slavery, which we had sold ourselves into. But instead, in love, he, the master, God, buys us out of slavery with his son. Not an angel, not a second created Adam, not heavenly hundred dollar bills, but with his own eternal Son, the Christ child in the manger had a purpose. He was a baby born to die for sinners like you and me. Now, we don't like to hear this. No, we don't want to hear that we are sinners. We're good people. It's Christmas. I've worked hard all year. I deserve a Lexus. I want it in the driveway with a bow on it. I've been good this year, especially the last two days. So I better get what I want because I deserve it. This is not true. I don't know how we can look at our world and say everything is okay. It's not. I don't know how people can look at themselves in the mirror and go, I'm flawless. We're not. We are dirty, smelly sinners. But that is why Christ came. And our adoption is incomprehensibly costly. Just like an adopted child might never understand all the sacrifice and all the cost that was involved in his adoption or her adoption, so we as Christians can never exhaust what this meant for God to send his son and for the son to take on flesh. This adoption was planned before time began. It was costly beyond comprehension. And it results in a staggering change in relationship, name, status for all who believe. Our adoption brings radical change. A couple of changes this passage shows us. First, we learn that we are adopted as 
sons. Now, some modern versions, in an attempt to be gender sensitive, actually blur what this verse is saying. So the New Living Translation has, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. If the version you have translates verse 5 like that, or even says something like, so that he could adopt us as his sons and daughters, then you have a version that's actually blurring the meaning of this verse. Sometimes we're way too quick to modernize and correct biblical language, and we miss revolutionary truth in the process. The old NIV translates it as that we might receive the full rights as sons. And this is a pretty good attempt to capture what this verse is saying. To be a son in this context meant that you were a legal heir. You had all the rights that came with that position. And in ancient cultures, women were often treated as a person of lesser status. Now, remember back in chapter 3, verses 26 to 28, Paul has just said that there are no levels of distinction in Christ. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no male or female. You remember that? When Paul calls men and women sons of God, he's making a radical egalitarian statement. He's lifting women of that culture to a status unheard of in that day. He's making them equal to men before God. He's saying they are as valuable as men. There's no male or female in God's eyes. All are the same. That is good news. Now, to to push on that just a bit more, Paul also includes men in the bride of Christ metaphor. And that makes us men feel weird, right? I'm a bride of Christ. I don't know what I think about that. But there's wonderful truth, men, in being called the bride of Christ. And there's wonderful truth, women, in being called sons of God. While it might be confusing in our day and age, biblically speaking, we could have a men's conference themed the bride of Christ. We could. We could have a women's conference themed sons of God. I think we've already got plenty of gender confusion in our day. So I'm not necessarily recommending that, but I'm saying that it could be biblical and there is some beneficial uh, stuff to be found in thinking about those truths. This adoption brings radical change. We are sons of God. And in case we missed it before, that also means that we are heirs. We are given a position of privilege. We are no longer a slave Our position is radically altered. We are a son and we are an heir, one with all rights and privileges. Our relationship with God is radically altered. We were slave children of wrath made into sons. Our name is changed so that we are identified with a new family and our status is altered before a holy God. Our world says that Santa drops in on nice people once a year, gives a gift, a reward, and goes away. The Christian message is at Christmas, God comes to sinners and stays. He makes us his. He adopts us. And Paul does something else that's hard to see in the English here. In verse 6, Paul uses a plural form of you. So he says, because you are sons... 
And he means uh, y'all or, or youans, all right? All of you, your sons of God, all right? But then in verse 7, he switches to a singular you instead of a plural. So now he's in an effect addressing his readers and us uh, personally. So in verse, six, he's, in verse 6, he's saying, you are all sons. In verse 7, he's saying, you are a son, and you are a son, and you are a son. You're not a slave, and you're not a slave, and you're not a slave. You're a son. This takes us to our fourth point. Our adoption is felt. It is felt by us personally. The Christian life is not just some heavenly legal transaction that leaves us unaffected. We feel the planned and costly adoption that brings this radical change. We know it to be real in our hearts and our lives. Do you know the reality of such an internal witness? Do you feel what God has done as something he has done for you and for you and for you? If you are a believer, you should feel it. If Mary was blessed by having the Son of God in her womb, how much more blessed are we to have Christ, the Spirit of Christ in our hearts? We can feel God in us in a way that Mary did not know when she carried Christ in her womb. Verse 6 says that the spirit of the Son is sent into our hearts, and this is felt. Such that we cry, Abba, Father. That's an intimate and personal cry of joy or pain. When a dad comes home, his small children might run to him screaming, Daddy! And they have every right to do that, and they are met with open arms. Or if a little child pinches their finger and they're, they're hurting. They might run to their dad and say, Daddy, and they're screaming in pain and they want comfort and they have every right to go to their father and they are met with open arms. And this is exactly the way it is for us. We can go to God in joy or pain and find his arms open. And this is where we either see it or we don't. Ephesians 2, 3 says we were slave children of wrath when God adopted us. We were not a clean and cute, cuddly baby in a basket on the front step when God adopted us. No, we were an angry, dirty orphan throwing rocks at God. And God had every right to condemn us. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, adopted us by making his son take what we deserved. The angry, dirty, rock-throwing orphan, that's you and me, we were adopted by the son taking on what we deserved. And Jesus did not do this begrudgingly. He did not say, oh, okay, I'll go do it. He said, I'll do it. 
I will do it. I will do it for the joy that was set before him. He humbled himself and he allowed himself to be laid in a manger and go on to endure the cross. All of this is so powerful. Such that when the fullness of time comes in our lives, it changes us and we cry, Abba, Father. We feel it. God the Father sent the Son in order that we, as believers, we might have this position as sons. We are an heir with Jesus. And he sent his spirit into our hearts so that we might have the experience of this same reality. So there's a joyful recognition of God. There's a sweet response to God. There's an overwhelming gratitude toward God that we extend to others, not just at Christmas, but all year long. There's a a desire to be comforted by God in the midst of pain. There's a trust in God. He redeems us from slavery. And when we receive his spirit, we become conscious of his presence in us and around us. This adoption is felt. Do you feel it this Christmas? Maybe you felt stress or panic. Or maybe you felt lonely. Or maybe you just feel frantic. You got like two days left, right? If you feel these things, you need to spend some time today of focus, focusing on your adoption because that's what Christmas is about. I think we're pretty good about remembering that, that God has pardoned us. There's been this like legal transaction that's taken place. But I think we have a harder time remembering and embracing the full rights of sons that comes with adoption. So the result is that we have a very cold relationship with God. And we're always a little bit scared to go to him. But since God is our Abba, since he's our father, we can go to him in any state of mind or any state of heart. We can come to God just like Jesus did. We can say, Abba, Father, at any point of the day and under any circumstance. This is an adoptive love that brings radical change that we are supposed to feel in the depths of our soul. And it gives us the right to come to him at any point, in any day, of any year. One last truth. Our adoption is final. That's implied by the, being a son and an heir. Our adoption is final. I'm a parent of five kids. I'm the father of Mackenzie and Paige and Lauren and Zach and Caleb. Nothing can ever or will ever change that. The same is true in adoption. Once the adoption is final and all the I's have been dotted and all the T's have been crossed, the adoptive parents have all the legal rights and responsibilities of a parent-child relationship. And the adopted child has all the rights as well. The new parent 
parent-child relationship is permanent and is exactly the same as that of a birth family. Likewise, even more so, God's adoption of us is final. We are known by God, Galatians 4, 9. We are blood-bought sons. Jesus, born of woman, born under the law, has redeemed us. God is for us. He has adopted us. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Slaves made sons. Who shall bring any charge against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and adopted us. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit, so does yours, if you believe. Do you believe? Adoption. This is what Christmas is all about. It's not about lists of stuff you want. It's not about naughty or nice lists that people are making in regards to your behavior. It's not about presents under the tree. It's not about reindeer. It's not about glitter, thank goodness. It's about the love of God sending his son to fulfill his promise and to display his love to you and to change you with it and to secure you with it. Why would you ever refuse that gift? Or if you've received that gift, Don't you want to put it on every day? Instead of looking at that coat that's not on you and feeling cold, put it on. Put on Christ. Feel it. If you're a believer today, let the truth of this passage help you celebrate what Christmas is all about. God has adopted you with his own son. you're not a believer, I hope this passage creates in you a desire to be adopted by God. And you can be if you will confess your sin and believe in Jesus. Christmas is a wonderful time of year. And lighting these Advent candles helps us celebrate what God was doing when the fullness of time had come. He had a plan. No one was stopping it. It was intentionally delayed, but it was perfectly on time. But the scripture tells us that Jesus will come again. His first coming was humble. His second coming will be glorious. When Jesus returns, it will happen according to plan. It is being intentionally delayed so that you might not perish. But it will not be a moment too late. 
it will be eternally costly for all who did not believe. And it will be eternally rewarding to all who took up their cross and followed him. It will change everything forever. It will be felt by all, either in heaven or in hell. And it will be final. Let every heart prepare him room. Let's pray. Father, help us to feel this today. We are adopted by you. And as we think about your son in a manger, and shepherds, and wise men, and angels, help us to remember what your adoption of us cost. We love because you first loved us. May we be willing to follow you no matter the cost, remembering that that the cost of adopting us is incomprehensible. May the radical change that comes with our adoption be something that we feel and others notice so that you would be glorified and more would come to know you. Thank you for being so strong and so resolved that our adoption is final. May that fill us with confidence and joy this season. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Closing song that um, 